with us today. The reading this morning is from Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. So Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were burning like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks, Caroline. Shall we pray as we come to this vision of John's? Lord God, we've read some strange things this morning, but we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring them to life in our hearts, and may we find in them something to motivate us for the rest of today and this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I've hinted at in that prayer there, I want to talk about our motivation in the Christian life today. Sometimes we feel more motivated than others, don't we? And I can think of a few things that motivate me. Just singing that song just now, it's one of my favorites. I always imagine I'm a much better singer than I am when I'm singing it. And that motivates me in the Christian faith. What a gift music is. Another thing that might motivate us is other people, perhaps people who inspire us, people who encourage us. Hazel was telling me today that she had a couple of visitors yesterday from her youth group from many years ago. How old are they now, Hazel? Old. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry to put you on the spot there, but I imagine that Hazel was very motivated by that, and I'm sure these people are going strong in the faith, and I have no doubt that that is at least part because of the work that Hazel did with them when they were young people. That's motivation, other people. Maybe other people can motivate us in different ways. Maybe we'd be worried about upsetting somebody or hurting them if we didn't keep going in the faith, and that keeps us going. That's not necessarily a bad thing, of course. You know, maybe uh, you're a parent and you worry about what your children think. Maybe you're a child. You wonder what your parents think. Um, and of course, you know, what we all want is to be motivated by this really strong sense of God's presence and power. And some of us can truly say we're motivated by that. 
Um, Christine was telling me this morning uh, that she was listening to the church service on Radio 4. Uh, it came from Ukraine this morning. And the people in Ukraine were talking about their suffering, but they also said the reason we can get through the suffering is because we know that God is with us. That's remarkable courage, isn't it? comes from knowing the presence of God. Now, I could add to this list that some of us, like me, are just a bit stubborn sometimes, and we think, I know this is true, I'm not feeling it, I'm just going to get on with the Christian life, and maybe that's okay as well. So lots of things motivate us, but really we want this sense of God's presence and power in our lives. That's what we really want to feel, isn't it? So that's what I'm going to be talking about today, because in our uh, Bible reading, the Apostle John He's writing down this vision, which is what we have in the book of Revelation, and he's about to be told by God to write seven letters to seven churches, very ordinary churches in many ways, churches with similar struggles that we have, churches who need to be motivated. They need to be motivated, some of them, to stop doing things that are wrong. How hard is it sometimes to overcome temptation? We really need motivation for that. Sometimes they need to be motivated to press on when everyone around them would like them to stop. Sometimes they just need to be motivated to stop sitting on the fence, stop being lukewarm, and just have a bit of life and fire in their Christian faith. Wouldn't that motivation be nice? And so before John writes those letters, God gives him a revelation that will provide the motivation he needs the motivation these churches need. And the vision shows us Christ Jesus. Christ is our motivation. But more specifically about Christ, because you may be listening to that and thinking, well, I find it difficult to, you know, get motivated just by those two words, Christ Jesus, but where he is and what he's like are the two things that should motivate us. So those are the two things I want to look at this morning. First of all, where he is, He's not dead. The uh, the Roman historian Tacitus was uh, writing about this group in Rome. He calls them a class of people called Christians. And they were named after someone called Christ, who, he writes, suffered the extreme penalty, i.e. death, during the reign of Tiberius at at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. So as far as this Roman historian was concerned, and millions of people like him, Christ is in the grave. But he, like many others, had forgotten the empty tomb. Now, I don't have time to go through all the evidence for the resurrection today, but thankfully that forms a big part of the Exploring Christianity course that Bernie will be running on Wednesday. So if you're new to the evidence for the resurrection and you've got time on a Wednesday morning, you can go along to that course. If you can't make Wednesday morning, chat to Bernie, and I'm sure he'll be happy to run through the evidence with you. Jesus is not dead. He was not in the tomb. And in verse 18 of our reading, he says, I am the living one. I I was dead. And look, I am alive forever and ever. So where's Jesus? Well, he's not in the tomb. But that doesn't tell us where he is. Where is he? And I want to say this morning that he is in this room. He is among his churches. I absolutely love the way this vision starts because um, you remember the vision. It's it's kind of scary man with a face who shines like the sun. And John uh, is kind of sitting at his desk, maybe in prayer, and 
he hears the voice like a trumpet behind him, and he turns around and sees this man. But when he's describing the vision, he doesn't say, I was in prayer and I heard this voice behind me and I turned around and saw this scary man. He says, verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I find that quite amusing, quite interesting because, I mean, you couldn't see this vision and not be changed. You'd be a changed person after seeing this man. And yet the first thing John picks up on is the lampstands. That's like um, me blindfolding you and taking you to some part of the world and saying, okay, now look and tell me what you see. And this is what you see. Let's have a picture on the next slide. And what you say to me is, Sam, I see some metal railings. It's a bit like that, okay? It seems like he's missed the point. But when he says, I see, I saw seven golden lampstands, he's saying that because... These seven lampstands are the reason for the vision. If they were not there, this vision would not have happened. And the seven lampstands represent the seven churches he's about to be writing to. And it's a bit more than that because the number seven in the Bible always represents completeness or everything. So it's not just seven churches. It is every church. Every Christian church throughout the ages is represented by these lampstands. Christ Church Bulldog is the reason for this vision. It is one of the lampstands. And if the lampstands were not there, then he wouldn't need the vision. We are the reason for the way Christ is presented in this vision. Now, that means that Christ is with us here this morning, and it's very motivating to know that he is here. He knows everything you've been thinking and doing this week. He knows how you've been treated by others, perhaps badly, perhaps well. That's very motivating for our Christian life. But what's also motivating is what he's like. Not only is he here, but this is what he's like. Uh, Notice, this is a vision. This is what he's like, not what he looks like. This is symbolic, okay? So one of the things it says is he's got a sword sticking out of his mouth. We're not to imagine that that is what Christ looks like. When Jesus rose from the dead, he walked several miles with a couple of his disciples, and they didn't even realize it was him. So he must have looked like a pretty ordinary man. This is not what he looks like. This is what he is like. So what's he like? Well, if you were to look down, the simple answer to that is, he is beyond words. If you've got your Bible there, look at how many times John has to use the word like. He's he's like this. His eyes were like blazing fire. They weren't fire, but they were like it. His feet were like bronze. They weren't bronze, but they were like it. His voice was like rushing water. It wasn't rushing water, but it was like it. His face was like the sun, but it wasn't the sun. It was just like it. You want to say, John, stop telling me, you know, stop using the word like. Don't tell me, tell me what you saw. Don't tell me what it was like. Tell me what it was. And John says, I can't do it. It's beyond words. All I can say is what it was like. Because Jesus is awesome. The most overused word in the English uh, language, I suppose. He was awesome. Let's say, Jesus inspires awe. Take almost everything you can imagine that is the most powerful from the natural world. And what, what would it be? Maybe the sun, okay? Very powerful. Maybe fire, that's very powerful. 
tons of moving water. It still amazes me that a cubic meter of water is one ton. And think how many cubic, waters of, or, uh, cubic uh, meters of water crash on our coastlines every year. This vision has all three of those things. His face was like the sun. And John's like, but it wasn't like the sun. That's not quite enough. The sun is very powerful, but it wasn't just like the sun. It was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. His eyes were like fire, and John's like, fire, that's not really enough. His eyes were like blazing fire. His voice was like the sound of waters, but that's not really enough. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold a conversation by the kitchen sink with the tap running. It's hard to make yourself heard. Imagine how hard it is to make yourself heard over God's voice, which is like rushing waters. If I wanted a picture to describe unapproachable strength, I might think of a metalworks with its intense heat and strong refined metal. Well, that's here as well. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. You can't go near that, can you? I once did an evening course in welding. Some people are often surprised to hear. And um, I made a stupid mistake once during this evening course. I'd welded together four little bits of metal like this into a kind of box that was open at both ends. And I picked it up with my tongs, and I quenched it in the water. But what I'd forgotten is, first of all, this box was about 1,000 degrees because it had been melted. So metal melts about 1,000 degrees. And secondly, water boils at 100 degrees. And thirdly, what I'd made was a pipe. So I plunged this into the water, and immediately, all this frothing, foaming water shot up the pipe, and steam, of course, all over me. And if I hadn't have been wearing my protective gear, I think I'd have done a bit of a stint in hospital. And I don't think I'd look the same today as I do now. You cannot approach that kind of power. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace. That is unapproachable power and strength. Now, if you wanted purity, what might you choose? Uh, that's here too. John says, the hair on his head was white like wool. And then he thinks like, wool, that's not really good enough. That's not really white enough. As white as snow. Can't really get whiter than that in the natural world, can you? Now let me pause here for those of you who like a bit more depth while I'm talking about the hair on this man's head being as white as snow. And remember, this is symbolic. It doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus has white hair. He might do. I don't know. This vision in Revelation echoes a vision that has already been seen by Daniel in the Old Testament hundreds of years before. I'm going to read you part of it. In Revelation, um, John says that he sees someone like a son of man, which is in Jewish thought a way of describing a person. Okay, if it was a son of a sheep, that would be a sheep. It's a son of man, a son of humanity, a person, a human being. And Daniel saw a vision of a son of man too. This is Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the second character in this vision, the ancient of days, God. That's why we sang God doesn't have a birthday. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him, including in English here today. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the Jesus that we're seeing in Revelation is this royal son of man that Daniel saw hundreds of years before. Verse 13 of Revelation uh, that we're in. Among him, uh, sorry, among them, the lampstands, that is, was someone like a son of man. He's linking it back to this vision in Daniel. Now, it's widely known that Jesus was born to be king and no ordinary king, but this eternal king, we talk about that quite a lot, don't we? But the funny thing here is that in Daniel's vision, as I've mentioned, there are two characters. There's the son of man and there's the ancient of days. And the strange thing is the Jesus in our vision also represents the ancient of days. It's enough that it's impossible to say it's not intentional. So uh, Daniel 7 verse 9, it talks about the ancient of days. Daniel says, I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Now, it's no accident that the uh, vision of Jesus contains those same details, both of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, because Jesus is both. He is God and he is human. He is as much the Ancient of Days as he is the Son of Man. And that's why this vision is so awesome. It's not about what he looks like, it's about what he is like. So I hope that's given you something to think about if you like a bit of Bible study. But let's come back to this vision in Revelation. So we've seen this awe-inspiring vision of a man, and now, uh, you know, okay, we've got the man here. Now let's stick something in his hand to show effortless authority, shall we? Now let's not stick a weapon in his hand, because if it was a weapon... That would imply he had to fight and work for his authority and his power, wouldn't it? Not a weapon. What should we put in his hand? Well, not a scepter, because any old king or queen can hold a scepter in their hands. What should we put in his hand that is so far out of reach of human control and power that millions of people, even today, think that these things influence, have power over people? because people have absolutely no power over them. Well, how about a star? Why don't we put that in his hand? Why don't we put a star in the hand of this vision, uh, this man in the vision? But why not just, you know, not, not just one star? Why don't we put more than one? Why don't we put seven, which, as we've already heard, represents completeness? And so, verse 16, in his right hand, he held seven stars. So we're supposed to be a bit speechless at this vision. Words cannot really describe what Jesus is like here in this room today. We should be terrified and overawed at the same time. I want to say that this isn't a creepy vision. It's a terrifying vision. There's a difference. That's what Jesus is like, and he's here this morning. If you want motivation to repent of that wrong thing that you're doing, this is it. Or rather, here he is. This is him If you want motivation to press on when things are hard, here he is in this room. Christ is our motivation. Let me kind of finish with this question. Is this the sort of Christ you can love? 
How can you love someone with a sword sticking out of their mouth? Well, remember, this is symbolic, okay? Jesus doesn't have a sword sticking out of his mouth. And this metaphor is also used in the book of Hebrews to talk about the word of God, his, his words. It says the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. That's why he's got a sword sticking out of his mouth. Because the things he says are powerful. But even so, can you love Jesus if he's so beyond description and so unapproachable? To answer that, I want to draw your attention to verse 17. John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. His right hand, that was the one he was holding the stars in. Christ doesn't need to keep holding the stars. He's got that authority. He doesn't need to cling on to it. He can let go of the stars and put a strengthening hand on the shoulder of this man he loves. And then he says to this man, do not be afraid. That's the same words he said to the women who met him at the tomb when he rose from the dead. It's the same Jesus. Do not be afraid. The reason we've got this vision is that um, sometimes we forget who Jesus is. So we do love him, and we just need to be reminded sometimes of how great he is, that he is God. If Jesus is not on your side today, that is a terrifying prospect. And if you're not sure, you should sort it out. But it is the best thing in the world to know and love Jesus and to live for him. So what's our motivation? Jesus is here with us in this room. Jesus is awe-inspiring. He is powerful and he is glorious. And he loves you and he cares about you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sure my words haven't done justice to this vision this morning, so I pray that you would work in our imagination to help us to see who you are, to see where you are, to see that you're here with us, and to see that you care and that you love us. That's all I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.